0: Today, I want to talk about a subject that is a little bit challenging, and that's the pandemic of mental health challenges that we've been having over the last so many years. And although May is often considered in the United States a time to talk about mental health, the truth is every month is a good time to talk about mental health. And especially during the pandemic, post-pandemic, or anywhere related to the pandemic. What we have seen during this time of the pandemic is significant amounts of mental health challenges in the workplace, in schools, amongst young people, especially, and in society at large. And I want to talk a little bit about what might be some of the reasons for this sudden uptick of even more concerns and conditions of a mental health nature. One thing I want to say is I believe that there is some degree of a failed social experiment that's been going on in terms of how we have been responding to the scenario of the pandemics. And before I say more about that, I want to just say a few things about how I believe that we are designed as people. God designed us as people who would have a vertical relationship with him. We would have a relationship that's worshipful in terms of how we respond to, how we relate to God. So that's the vertical part. He also designed us to have horizontal relationships in community with one another. And through this human connection, human community, the relationship, we would receive love and support, fellowship, joy, comfort, and healing. We also receive many of those dimensions as well and from our vertical relationship with God because we are those branches that are connected to the vine that has all the sustenance that we need. It seems that during this time of the pandemic, we may have been responding to it in a way that's inconsistent with how we are built As human beings and people. And so there's a question about could we possibly be designing a society that breaks our true health and healing and leaves some broken pieces that don't work so well? Maybe they're cheap substitutes of the real thing. And the real thing is God's best and what He designed from the beginning. So you might be wondering well, what do I mean by cheap substitutes or Other ways of getting through this process. First of all, we have been promoting more of what I'm going to call a drug culture. That's all the way from the prescription pharmaceutical drugs, even to the everyday street drugs that are out on the street. At least in the United States, people have been trained to think about if I have a pain, if there's anything going on, what kind of pill am I going to take? What drink am I going to mix up? What drug am I going to look for? And when we select these options, the drug option, whether it be alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, or whatever it may be, then there's a disconnection that takes place. First, there's a disconnection from ourselves. We're not fully present in our lives, fully who we are, because we have been altered by the substances that we are taking. And we also disconnect in our vertical relationship from God and very often at the horizontal level from each other. And so you see many more people hold up in rooms, not connecting with their families, being alone. And when you're alone for extended periods of time and then one of the reasons solitary confinement is a punishment is because it's very difficult to be alone like that we're not designed to live alone for any length of time being alone we're with our own thoughts and sometimes we begin to think things that really are not helpful Another way that people disconnect is through TV and social media outlets and the internet in general and gaming. And it's not to say that these things in and of themselves are evil or problematic. I'm not saying that at all. There are actually good uses for social media, the internet, TV, and all of these aspects. However, some people respond to these outlets very much like you would respond to a drug and they become addicted. And not only do they become addicted, they don't even know that they are disconnected from people because there's an illusion of intimacy. They believe they're connected because they have all these friends on their social media accounts. They are feeling as though they're in community. And when we're in these more disconnected or more distant ways of connecting, there's a tendency for people to say some things that they would not say face to face. It's been amazing to me to see the kinds of comments that people make at the end of articles that I don't find to be particularly offensive and the polemic that's spewed out is unbelievable and the kinds of nasty things that people say to other people or the ways that they treat them with such disrespect, calling names, so on and so forth, not being willing to listen or to hear an alternative point of view. And so we certainly see a lot of that. I'd also say during our quarantine period, particularly when it was at its apex with so many people in the hospital, there was a lot of isolation during that time. Not only were people isolated because they were quarantined and confined to their homes, there were challenges and difficulties during that quarantine period. For example, if you had a relative that was in the hospital you were most of the time separated from that relative. Even if that relative had limitations like cognitive limitations or other difficulties and really needed an advocate, someone who knew them, a family member who understood their medical history, who would be able to advocate for them, they were thrown in the hospital alone and with no one to speak up for them or to raise a voice. And very many people under those circumstances who were hospitalized They felt tremendous fear and anxiety, as well as their relatives who were on the outside, not knowing what was going on with those who were on the inside. And many of those who were hospitalized, they died alone. They died apart from their families, their loved ones, the comfort, the solace that they would need at such a critical point in their life experience. This has produced a level of trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder in our society that we had not seen before. So that PTSD is there, the trauma is there, and people are still trying to process that and deal with it. And all that happened. Other people may have been treated in the hospital or had an experience even in the home setting where they suffered a vaccine injury. And when they attempted to contact the medical professionals and say, I'm experiencing X, they were told, oh, well, we've never heard that that's an outcome of a vaccine injury. And of course, no one's ever heard many of these things because this treatment was new and we had to collect data to see what people were going to experience. Now you have people who are being denied the validity of their own experiences. They're made to feel as though they're not thinking clearly, they're not thinking straight, as if there really is nothing wrong with them, when in fact they know there is something wrong with them and they're left feeling alone without help and without the medical care that they need to deal with whatever the injury may have been. I think that this is difficult because it's added to the isolation, added to the disconnection, added to the stress, added to the anxiety, trauma, and everything else of this time period. And some medical professionals, I want to give kudos to them because seeing all of this, understanding the importance of human-to-human connection and interaction, many of them went above and beyond to hold the hands of the dying, to be with those people in their last moments and minutes and days and hours on the planet, and they filled in as best they could. They went the extra mile, even though they were already overworked and overwhelmed with what they were already doing. Also during this time, people were disconnected from a source, great source of strength, which was their faith community. Churches were Mandated to close, they weren't able to be opened. During some of that time period, when churches were closed and other faith houses of worship were closed, bars were open. People could go to the local bar and they could drink or get drunk, but they didn't have spiritual support from their faith community. And as I've already mentioned, that vertical connection and even the horizontal connection on a spiritual level is very important for people. In past plagues that have hit the earth, and many people may have died from those plagues that did hit the earth, we didn't have the same kind of response to these lockdowns and so on and so forth. Some of what happened in the past was actually things that were helpful and things that worked that we should think about and consider going forward. For example, in the past, there were healthy people who actually took care of the sick. Many of those healthy people never got whatever the plague was and never died. Why some people's immune systems were stronger and they were able to withstand that assault, I don't know. However, some people were able to do so. And we found that others who were taking care of the sick and dying, they actually, in fact, did. Get sick themselves, and some of them died, some of them recovered. But there were people who risked their lives, just like people in our day also risked their lives. In the past, what was also important was to do quarantining, not of the healthy people, but of the sick people. Quarantine the sick while the others are free to go about. Another aspect that was very important in the past was early treatment and intervention. In our crisis, we sent people home who had serious symptoms and told them to wait until it got worse and then come to the hospital. And of course, at that point, they're so much worse than they were before. The options are so much more limited and the incidence of loss of life and death was increased as a result. So early treatment and having early treatment protocols is essential to having a walkthrough a time of pandemic that is more hopeful rather than a time of despair across all fronts. And doctors, many in the medical profession, did what they are supposed to do and what they usually do. They found drugs that have been used in the past or treatments that have been used in the past that were safe, and they were repurposing them for the time of this pandemic, and they were getting good results until the government came in and stopped use of many of those early treatment interventions, even though they were working. And there became that one solution. In a a true pandemic, you don't narrow yourself down to one solution because one solution never works for all the people. You want multiple options, multiple solutions. You want to intervene early. You want to use safe medications that already have a track record and history. That's what you want to have on the protocols. And then you also want to work with those who are not ill and strengthen their immune systems so that you're into a prevention mode so far as other people catching whatever the condition is and then spreading it more. So there, again, there are different supplements and there are different preparations that people can take that strengthen their immune system and to spend more time and energy researching that, informing the public, and letting them know what that is would certainly have been helpful in our time of pandemic. So as a result of going the way that we did go, and we've had all of this challenge and the post-traumatic stress and so on, we're now at a place of an even greater societal PTSD, as I'll call it. We're having almost weekly mass shootings, whether they be in grocery stores, elementary schools, or other places, places of business in communities, malls, and so much more. There's a contagion now of fear in society. Even a trip to the grocery store doesn't feel safe, and people are concerned about that. There's a sense of death in the air every day, which is fueling for many people a sense of hopelessness. We also know that in this time of masks and lockdowns and quarantines and virtual school, many children were not thriving in that kind of an environment. And the teacher-student bond was disrupted and teachers, they didn't even know what their students really looked like because they were wearing the mask. And if they saw their students somewhere without a mask, they wouldn't even recognize them. And this was especially true for young children who found it very difficult to connect and to relate to those who were their caregivers, their teachers, and those who were close to them in their everyday life. So we've seen a lot more depression, a lot more suicide, and a lot more mental health conditions and concerns, even in the young children. Also, with this ecosystem being disrupted, people were at home a lot, not able to go outside and to get fresh air or children to have playtime outside. Parents may have been experiencing job insecurity, a lot of stress that led to short tempers, marriage disruptions. People got A lot of people have gotten divorced. During this pandemic, and we've seen an increase of child abuse and neglect, and also of spousal abuse as well. Many children also suffered food insecurity, because typically they might eat their one good meal at school, and now they didn't have that to fill in the gaps. And if we think about single people and single people who live alone, many of them are experiencing a high degree of depression, a high degree of suicidal ideation because of being alone for long periods of time, not having that community, even in their house, a spouse or someone to share their time with. So I think the bottom line of this for me is that people do better when they have God in their life, if they choose to, People do better when they are in community, and people do better when they have good food, fresh air, they have herbs and medicines and foods that support the body's healing rather than try to jump in and I'll say hijack it on some level. The way our bodies have been built and made, they've been fearfully and wonderfully made by God, and we can supplement the functioning of the body, which is an amazing system of self-healing, immune building, and everything else if it's given the right elements. So in this pandemic, instead of supporting the body and working with nature, there was more of an effort and attempt to go against nature and to try to get rid of everything rather than to work with it, adapt to it, adjust to it. And I say this because a lot of people don't know, but Viruses, germs, whatever you want to call them, have been around for as long as people have been around, and certainly since the world has been fallen and the sin in the garden of Eden, we've had all these things. And if we support the body as we're supposed to through this, the body adapts, the worst forms of that virus fall off. And it actually changes even our own DNA to be able to respond in the future And instead of working with nature and allowing the virus to get to its lower strength and everything else that is customary, we tried to prevent that process and to obliterate the virus. And as a result, I think we got some more virulent strains that actually emerged and that were resistant to treatment. And we also prolonged our isolation and our quarantine, which led to far more mental health and other problems, and now loss of life from other reasons, such as whether it be suicide, shootings, and so on, and also injuries from other conditions, such as the vaccine injuries, because we don't know the long-term impacts of something that's new and experimental in this way. So as an employer, And you're wondering, how does all of this relate to me in the workplace? The people who are in your workplace are the same people who are having these experiences in their personal lives. People who've lost many friends and relatives, people who have died, people who are trying to navigate and figure out, change school schedules for their children those who are dealing with relatives who may be ill because of a vaccine injury or illnesses that resulted from the virus itself and so on. And so those same people are coming to work and they're bringing the depression, they're bringing the anxiety, they're bringing the fear to work with them. So as an employer, you want to be paying attention to what a psychologically healthy workplace looks like and how important it is to think about the elements to that help to reduce stress. I'll just mention three things that the American Psychological Association talks about. They talk about a lot more, but I'll mention these three today. And that is those workplaces that provide mental health coverage and benefits are actually contributing to a psychologically healthy workplace. Your workforce has an outlet, a place to go, Where they can talk about the things that are of concern and things they don't have answers to and the stressors that they are still facing, even at this stage of the game. Number two, provide information to your workforce on an ongoing and a repetitive basis. People are very stressed by uncertainty. So, things you do know, make sure you tell the workforce about those things and don't just imagine that because you've said it once, they remember it and they have it. Those messages have to be continually repeated. And as you continue to repeat them and people see what is certain, it has a calming effect. And then thirdly, create forms for conversation and for connection to find out what's going on with people. What are they struggling with? What are they dealing with? And to call out collectively what's going well. What are we happy about? And what are we building on? What is our opportunity? And you want to provide support and you also want to provide a sense of hope when you convene these groups and meetings together, these forums. So I would say that, yes, we are in the middle of a pandemic of mental illness, some of it fueled by our own choices and how we've chosen to walk through this very difficult situation that we've been in over the last so many years. And other lessons I'd say to keep in mind that I've mentioned today going forward into the future is to work with nature rather than against it. And secondly, to preserve the vertical relationship that people have with God, and then also preserve that horizontal connection and relationship that people have with one another, Support the body in the healing process. God has designed to be self-healing if we have the right resources. Also keep in mind as a business leader, even as you're creating the things I'm talking about, you're creating the benefits in your organization that people have where they can reach out to mental health resources, you're creating forums and so on. It's also true that some conditions are difficult to detect. People will walk around with depression. People may walk around with substance use conditions, whether it be alcoholism, drug addiction, and so on, and you won't necessarily know it. So you wanna pay attention because there will be others who are working with those individuals who might notice some irregularities in how the person is working, which can be a cue that something is going on because the person's ability to work effectively gets disrupted. So you want to note that and pay attention to that. And you also just want to create safe spaces so that people can come and ask for help, knowing that you will support their recovery and the intervention that they need to recover, it doesn't necessarily have to result in job loss. Rather, you want to intervene before job loss. Give that person an opportunity to get themselves together. So you want them to come early again as soon as possible and not wait until they're entrenched in something that's much more difficult to remove. So just remember, it's not always in the open sometimes it's hidden, and you create the culture that allows people to speak up or to get the help that they need in order to recover. So as we close today's segment, I want to close with some verses from Psalm 139. These are very powerful verses and have always meant a lot to me in terms of God's role in who we are and how we are created And it says, starting in verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So I want you to think about what these verses are saying. It's saying that God knows our beginning and he knows our end even before any of those things begin. He is the one that's knitting us together in our mothers' wombs. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. Marvelous are we as his works. And you know what? We really can't improve on what God has created. We can support what God has created. We can recognize and acknowledge that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. And God doesn't need any help, and that doesn't need any improvement. We just support what God has already created, and that leads to our best outcomes rather than trying to supersede that and create maybe something of monstrous proportions that we hadn't even considered. So I would say walk in the knowledge that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. leadership resources.